we're talking about these four Sundays in terms of the, the discipleship pathway that we are adopting here in the process of at the church as we flesh it out as a culmination of more than two years' work of a group of people who worked on this discipleship pathway, pathway long before I arrived. And the heart of what you see before you is their work on the screen, what's on the front of your bulletin as we begin to fill it in. Last week we talked about engaging the world around us as a part of our mission and engaging the world around us with invitation. We talked about hoping that in that engaging process they would begin to discover what it means to be a follower of Christ. That is the reason people are filling out these invitation lists. By the way, some told me they already invited five people of the eight that's on the card. Five people already. So don't worry, when you run out of these cards, there's more at the information desk in front. For those 79 out of the 100 I hoped to see last week, God had given me that urge to ask for 100 people to be our spiritual Marines, to go out beyond this place and to extend and to engage our world in witness and inviting them to Christ or to the church whichever is appropriate according to their spiritual place and time on this earth. 79 out of 100 was great. I was ecstatic. But I did bring the other 21 cards. Now, some of you might not have been here last week, and you might want to come back and get one. Maybe you thought about it last week, and you thought, I just don't know if I can do that, and you changed your mind while you were singing the great I am. If you have any problems and that didn't heal it, I have nothing for you today. That was awesome. I am amazed to be in such worship and to be experiencing God as we sing. It was just, I feel so sorry for so many who go to church to, relieve, to read religious words, not expecting anything, not sensing anything, but simply going through the motions. If we are going to be God's people, we must and we have to engage the people who come to this place in such a way that we teach them how to really be a disciple, a learner and follower of the king. It's not just enough just to come here to join this church. It, you have to be a follower. And when you become a follower, things happening. And things happen in this congregation is such an illustration of that. Now, I'm aware that one of our congregation members is going to reach out to continue to broaden her horizons. Now, she's not here today. Her name is Brittany Ribble. And she's about to go to Taiwan to be there for 18 months. She's there? She's over here? Cindy was looking for you and didn't see you, Brittany. Where are you, Brittany? Thank you for standing up. Now I see you. There you are. We're going to pray right now for you, Brittany. We're going to pray for you because to follow God's voice around this world and go to places you've perhaps never been, in order to grow your discipling closeness to God so that you might be a more effective disciple. It's what we're about these four weeks. Not just for Brittany, but for everyone. But once you're a part of the body of Christ, the body of Christ has to join with you in what you're doing. Because it's a continual circular pattern, if you will, this discipleship thing. It's not just going, you're not going to just grow from child to youth. You're not going to just grow from youth to adult who's married and having a family. You're not going to just grow in age as you get older. You're going to grow in your ability to be like, to think like, and to act like the one whom you are following. That is a purpose of discipleship. I got a phone call from Chiv that was more broken up than not. 
what I kept hearing over and over every time he kept breaking up was him thanking me and thanking the church for what they've done for him. You sent over $5,000 with them to cover their mission while they're there. That's a, yes, that's a great spontaneous gift that you sent. I thank you for that. Now I ask you to send every spiritual well-being and every thought you might have with Brittany. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we give you thanks for Brittany, one of your children, who is following your way of discipleship and seeking to continue to soak up the training wherever she perceives that your spirit is leading her to go. We thank you for her willingness to give of herself, to give of her life, to give of her heart, to make her mind more and more available to you, even as her heart pushes her mind to deeper and deeper places. We pray, O oh God, for everything that might stand against her, for we know you are so great that you can protect her from disease. You are so great that you can keep her healthy and strong so that she might learn all that you have planned to give her while she's there. We pray, Lord, for safe traveling mercies, mercies to there and while she's there and on her way back to us. We will keep her in our thoughts and our prayer, prayers as we share and pray together so that she might never feel alone, might never feel that it's just you and her, but she might know that this part of the body of Christ is with her daily as she follows her calling. We thank you for her, Lord. And we trust her into your care until she's back with us again. And we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who is the one we follow. Amen. This is a great passage of scripture. It's kind of like the song, The Great I Am. It's hard to read it. It says so much. It's such power. And what Paul is really trying to say in this chapter is so so thrilling, and, it, and it's laid out very clearly when he begins, for this reason. And when Scripture does something like that, it's not by accident. It's not just to fill up words on a page. For this reason is referring back to what Paul has been talking about as he's been making contact with these Christians there in Ephesus, these Gentile Christians. He says, for this reason. And if you go back to verse 8 and 9, you find these words there in the text. For this reason. I want to read them to you. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Wow, what a task Paul had to bring to light the mystery that God had planned all along, not just to bring the nation of Israel into his relationship, but to bring the whole world. Paul is declaring boldly that this great love that God has shown to Israel is a great love that God has called and made available to every human being. The text just flows right into what we're doing. Every human being needs to grasp what Paul is trying to say here. Everyone who's seeking to know Christ, not some, not a privileged few, but every child created in the image of God, which is all of us, 
color, race, creed, nationality aside, where we live, how much money we have, what we think about doing, what capacity we have to use our heads or not to use our heads, what hearts we have, what hearts we don't have. doesn't matter who you are. God has poured out his love for you. And that includes every person outside these doors today. That is why the first word of the discipleship pathway is engage. I was playing golf with Gary. Now, the fact that I beat him doesn't enter into this sermon. <laughs> but what does enter into is while we were playing golf, we went there, the two of us, we were put with two other men. I knew what was going to happen because I know Swindle too well. Uh, th- these cards didn't mean anything to him. I'm going to have to tell him every day, remember to fill in the names. Remember to get more cards, Gary. Because he got his first name on his card that day while we were playing golf with two gentlemen who started, of course, where do you work, who are you, and that's all the opening Gary needs. Before we left, he was exchanging cards with the gentleman who was with us and phone numbers, inviting that gentleman to come and visit us for worship in this church. That's how easy it is. And then that caused that man to wander over to me on the tee box and ask me a question about his mother's church in Houston. God is good. God intends for us to engage while we're playing, while we're working, while we're sitting in a restaurant, while we're standing in line at the grocery store, while we're putting gas in our cars, while we're praying, while we're not. God intends us to engage because God has given us a precious, precious gift. And God is on pins and needles waiting for us to share that gift with other people. How Christians can can look me in the eye and look you in the eye and say, well, I just can't do that. (sighs) You know, I just don't believe it. The most shy person I've ever met in my 60, ooh, that's a lot of years. (laughs) In my 62 years has plainly the gift of talking. It's just they're particular about who they talk to. I don't mind you being a particular shy person if you're sitting out there. I don't know how you're very shy in this congregation, but if you are, that's great. If you're a shy person, God will help you in your shyness to overcome that because God is greater than your shyness. You don't have to speak in majestic terms. You don't have to be the prince of peace to just ask somebody while you're visiting with them about the weather or something else. How is their life? People are eager to talk about their lives. Some of them have never had a person ask them a serious question about their life in their whole life. Other than, how's your day? Oh, it's great. Somebody asked me this morning, how's your day? How are you doing? I said, oh, I'm great. Am I great? No, not really. I'm not great. My blood pressure's up. It's way up. It's up so much I've been submarining at home. So if you see me fall down up here, don't think anything about it. I'll get back up. (laughs) I may be in heaven, but that's all right. Yeah, that'll relieve a lot of that blood pressure. If I go to heaven, it'll just be taken care of. I don't know why my blood pressure is up. I'm blaming the pills. I, they're not working. Or I could be blaming you. It could be something to do with how much I eat. I've been pretty busy with that for a long time now. But the reality is, yeah, I'm not really fine, but I wasn't going to tell that person that. They didn't really ask me, how are you doing? Now, when Cindy Shirley asked me how I am, she wants a detailed report. And she watches me like a hawk. She's worse than my mother. (laughs) Or she's as good as my mother. You see, 
In the body of Christ, when we're all in this circle together, we have work to do. And when we engage somebody and they come in here and visit, we are hoping that they will discover what it is that God is about. We're hoping that they will discover for themselves so that the richness of God's plan can be made true in their own lives. Now, this is not just any plan. This prayer is what Paul is praying for the Gentiles. It is what we should be praying every day for everyone whose name we put on that card. We should be praying every day for them that the invitation that has been given will be accepted until they accept it. And then after they accept it, we should pray that they would be open to discovery, open to discover this God that they are seeking, open to understand this love that, quite frankly, we don't even fathom within the church. Look at verses 18 and 19 if you have your Bibles open in Ephesians. For there, he, Paul says something to them. He says, so that, I'm going to start at 17. I just can't not do it. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded, having your whole being immersed, standing in the love that God has given you, may be able to comprehend, now we're talking about the mind, comprehend with all the saints, that's everyone, it includes you, it includes the people you're talking to, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's our goal. Our goal is not to be a little bit like Jesus. Our goal is to be filled with the fullness of God. So that someone might accidentally mistake you for Jesus. How about that? That would be cool, wouldn't it? Somebody look at you and to say, I'm really loud this morning. I don't know. I'm a little excited. So that somebody can look at you and say something is different about that person. Now, they're not going to say that about how you worship because... They know you're acting Christian when you come to worship in whatever way you're used to. It's when you're at work. It's when you're in line. It's when they cut you off from the parking lot when it's really crowded and how you respond. By the way, if you have Christian symbols on your car, please think about them before you blare on your horn, (laughs) roll down your window and shout at them. It's about do you stop when you're driving down that long road in front of Walmart, and you're eager to get home, and there's a line of people wanting to walk in. Are you going to sit there and wait for them to walk across the walkway? Or are you going to smile at them, or are you going to look at them like, could you hurry up? Could you get out of my way? i got things to do. Before you start inching forward to cut off that next group of people coming that you see coming. <laughs> so you can zoom past, you know, how, hurry, how busy you are. So don't, don't do that if you have Christian symbols on your car, please. Some of you should really consider not having symbols on your car. There are no symbols on my car. (laughs) It's a safety precaution for me. (laughs) Discover what? What do we hope they discover? In the beginning, when someone walks into our church, we're going to try to get to know them. The first thing that's going to start happening from this day forward is everybody that's interested in joining this church is not just going to be invited to a, a meeting where we meet with a group and talk. But before they join the church, every one of them, or right after they join the church, couldn't be either way, is going to have a personal meeting with one of the pastors. 
that we're going to have in front of us that we shared with the pastoral staff, the kind of questions we want to talk to everybody that joins about so that we can help determine where they are in their Christian faith. You remember here a few weeks about when I said, hold up your lifeline in front of you, where are you in your walk with Christ? That's what we want to determine. Because brothers and sisters, some people are 50 years old, and they're not where a lot of our high school students are in their walk with Christ. That's not to condemn them. That's just to face reality. i got a feeling it's possible. I, I know you think it's highly unlikely. There may be some of you who have been going to church for 50 years, and you're still really looking for it. You really haven't found it yet. You really haven't given as much time as you should to prayer and study the Scriptures. So we want to know where to start them in their walk of faith here in this church. We want to get them in the right place on the discipleship path. We want them to be established in their heart and in their mind, the depth of the love of God. And we got to start where they are, not where we want them to be. That's the trouble with Sunday school classes. Some of you have been together so long that you know each other's thoughts before you say them. I can't imagine how boring that class must be. I can picture the teacher starting to say something, somebody finishing the sentence for him. That's what my wife does on a regular basis, you know. I've been living with her a long time. You've known each other so well that it's hard to remember. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Let me make clear. One of the real strengths of Sunday school is for you to join with a group of people and be with some people all over the long haul so that when you're sick or sinful or struggling or hurting, you feel close enough to them to call them and tell them, could you, could you come in my house and pray with me? Can you meet me for coffee? That's what Sunday schools do better than any other group. That's what they're meant to do. Now, they teach also, and they learn together, and they grow, grow wherever they are in the beginning, especially. They kind of they meet common ground as they go forward. Now, there will always be some in the group who are not as far along as others, and that's all right, too, because we all do not have the same capacity as others. We all do not have the same kind of heart that can be filled to the fullness of God according to us. But I will never be quite as filled, I don't think, with the fullness of mercy as is Miss Cindy. When she prays, heaven listens. When she speaks of somebody, I, you, nobody doubts her good intentions who has known her for any length of time. You see, this discipleship thing is involved, and it takes years to cultivate. And on this circle, people say, well, what happens when I go around the circle? Don't worry. This is really concentric circles. When you go around the circle once, you're going to come back around and begin to discover again at a different age and level and development what the new truths are you need to learn. What are the topics we're going to be looking at? Well, in this first quadrant, this first place on the circle that they're th throwing up now, now after we've engaged and you get them here and we're trying to establish them, we're going to talk to them about who Jesus really is by introducing them to the scriptures. We want them to have a biblical understanding of Jesus, not the common cultural understanding of Jesus. We want them to understand what it means to believe in Jesus. And that does not mean simply intellectual belief, although that's a part of it. But it means faith and trust in the life that Jesus has called us to. We want that to be established in their life 
according to wherever they are. We want them to understand the body of Christ, the church, not the church that they've been to that they didn't like, not the church they've been to according to a certain denomination, but the body of Christ as the scriptures teaches it, how the church is to behave one toward the other. We want them to get an unbiased, straightforward, age-appropriate, spiritual age-appropriate presentation of what it means, what it means to follow Jesus. We also, after talking with them through the scriptures for a certain amount of time, telling them about who Jesus is in the body of Christ, if they're at that beginning stage, we want to make sure at that point that they have understood and have made a relational commitment to follow Jesus, that they have begun an aged relationship that is a loving relationship with Jesus. That's what this text is really looking for, to get people to the place where they get into this love relationship with Jesus because that will spur them forward. The same way it does in healthy marriages, the same way it does in parental relationships with their children, love motivates us to continue to grow. You've never seen a more loving person than parents who have teenagers. <laughs> Y'all are great for them. You cause them to love. You push them to love. You push them to practice forgiveness. You push them to follow accountability. You push them to look into your eyes when you're struggling. Not with anger, but with a love that overwhelms your age. That's what parents do. That's what you do, right, parents? You get over the anger part. You sit down with them and you look into their eyes. I know there's a certain fear in your body at that point. I've raised two, I understand. But they have to see your commitment to them. And so does everybody outside these doors have to see that kind of loving commitment you have for them that is appropriate to where they are. Before you can ever engage them, before they can ever begin the walk of discovery, they have to see the love in you. And you say, well, I'm just not a very touchy-feely person. Well, get over yourself. <laughs> you know? I'm not a very touchy-feely person either. My wife has trained me. And believe me, between the three girls, they beat upon me at times to make sure that I'm being transformed. Happened again just last night. I've been having this ongoing discussion with my nurse doctor. You know, once you get to be a nurse, you really think you're a doctor. And my daughter has achieved that status now. She's been a nurse for almost a year. <laughs> so she pretty much knows what we all need to be doing. And so when I was telling her about my physical ailments and symptoms, that's this constant pathway and daily check-in with my blood pressure numbers and making sure after she got through preaching to me that I was going to the doctor. Yes, I am, dear, tomorrow. And then last night, as we exchanged our last text about the situation we've been talking about, I said goodnight. And she said, already said goodnight. But then she texts back the words I've been taught to say. Because I forgot to say them when I left her. I love you. And I texted back, I love you too. It's not the way most men think, but trust me, men, get over yourself. 
People need to hear that they're loved. Now, when we get to this point, when we're teaching and talking about what it means to be Christian, when they have begun to be established at the appropriate level, they're going to get it where they are as you got it a long time ago for many of you. We don't expect them to jump forward to where we are after 40 years of studying the Scripture and worshiping. I know some people walk into our worship service and probably go, wow, this is the loudest church I've ever heard singing. Yeah, it really is, actually, I think. And you know what? I think that's because there are so many people who are singing in the heavenly choir. They're not here to listen to the worship music. They're here to worship with music. There's a difference. And there's a reason David quits playing those musical instruments at certain points. He wants you to hear the choirs of heaven that are the voices that live inside you. He's encouraging you to let it out, to worship your God in whatever way is comfortable to you. He's saying, do it. Practice it. So when people come in here, my goodness, if I'd have been praying the prayer, I might have dismissed church. That's always a possibility. I tell every congregation. You need to know it's never happened yet. But every now and then, I get so moved by the music, I just think about saying amen and having a prayer and going home. This might be the place where it happens. <laughs> but because God wanted me to preach this morning, Cindy said a prayer after you sang. That's what I think. So I need to wind up because I don't want you out here every week at 12 o'clock. You're going to be thinking I'm a long-winded preacher or something. This feeling of understanding is available to everyone. Have I said that enough? Y'all have got that? Everyone. 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 God wants us to give it away to everyone. So that when they get on this discovering pathway, they will begin to form an established understanding of who Jesus is based on the scriptures. An established understanding of what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be like. Will any, will any or every church be perfect in those ways? No, but it is our goal. It is our constant effort to be the church that Jesus intended to form. Then we want to be sure that they are able to say, I talk to Jesus and Jesus talks to me. My heart is in love with Jesus. And I understand that God loves me more than I will ever be able to love him. When you begin to understand how much you're loved, it changes your life. And that's something that every spouse needs to remember about their spouse. You may have been married a long time. My wife has been blessed for more than 40 years. <laughs> and every year she finds new ways to be blessed. New ways to say I love you. New ways to care about me. New ways for us to move things around our lives so that we continue to mash together as one. It's not easy. But two humans are better for it when they made the effort to become one. So wherever you are in your marriage, if it's still possible and you are married, work on it. Because if you leave it alone, it will begin to go the other direction. Now... 
This engaging and inviting, this discovering and establishing is half of this circle. And when someone gets there, they will begin to go own their faith. They will know some of the things they believe. Now, they won't be a 40-year Christian, but they will begin to understand that they have something inside of them that's theirs and that the world cannot take away. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ, a God who loves them in Christ, who has called them to love others in Christ. Then as they get ready to own it, they're going to become ready to add the next E word. They're going to become ready to equip. Every ministry of the church is presently being evaluated. Every group in the church is presently being evaluated to see at what level that ministry is occurring. Because it's possible that many of our ministries in a congregation as old as this one is will have many small groups that are for people who are a long way in the journey and not enough groups for people who are beginning their journey. It's the same thing in the youth group. We have one youth group, but within that youth group, it is the expectation here that those who are older will bring along those who are younger at an appropriate rate. They are not seniors yet. They're seventh graders. They're not ready to think like you think. And if you're still thinking like you did when you're in the seventh grade, you need to see a counselor right after church will be fine. <laughs> or see one of your pastors. Because we don't want you to get away still acting like you're a teenager because you're about to be on your own. A lot of people manage to escape youth just that way. Don't let you be one of them. The same thing is true in our Sunday school classes and in everything. We're going to rate them. We're going to put them to scale. You say, what do you mean you're going to rate them? We're going to decide which ones are good and which ones are better. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we know they're all good. Don't get panicky about an in-house evaluation of our ministries. Some ministries should be for those who are at a certain place in their life and ready to go deeper. And some ministries should be for those who are in the middle of their spiritual walk. And someone should be, some of them should be designed so that they can serve and learn at an appropriate level for them. And that's what we're going to be sure we're going to do. It's going to be intentional. I've wanted to do this for the last 20 years. I finally came to a church that was ahead of me. Praise God, you actually begin to develop this pathway already. All we have to do is move things around a little bit, talk with the committee some more, and make sure that we evaluate the staff more, and then implement it. Implementation has begun already. And you will see it in many ways. Do not be offended and do not be looking to sign up with the gold group. There are no gold groups. There are, we don't even have a word for it yet because we don't like any of them. There's just the reality that some are for people who are at one place in their life and some are at others. And we're all trying to get to the same place. How do I want to end? I want to end like this. How important is this? This is important enough that in the early church, they soon on knew that people need to understand the basics of the faith. In fact, the apostles, legend, legend, word, story, has, wrote the Apostles' Creed as a group. I don't know if that's true or not. It evolved and became very clear in the 3rd and 4th century that it was actually out there. Was it called the Apostles' Creed originally? It was called the Roman Creed. And it wasn't exactly like our Apostles' Creed today. It had to evolve in the church as the church moved it around to use it as a kind of catechism or a statement of belief for those who wanted to join the church. Now, you understand that when I say they wanted to join the church, that was the Roman Catholic Church they wanted to join. You understand that, right? Uh, sometimes I have to redo this lesson, so let me do a short one here. Roman Catholic Church, then the Eastern Orthodox Church, all part of the same church that started as Christians began to multiply and separated themselves by belief and faith 
from the Jewish faith. As they did that, they became the Christian church. And for almost 1,500 years, that was the only organized church that history has a record of. I know that some of you there may have come from landmark Baptist churches or landmark Church of Christ churches. Some who say that in the Church of Christ, that was the Church of Christ, little c, that started on the day, on the day of Pentecost. It's funny that nowhere in history is that, can it really be found except in the Church of Christ literature. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to teach something here. It's the same thing in some of our very, very uh, hard shell, let's say, for lack of a better term, fundamental Baptist church who believe in landmarkism that the Baptist church started with John the Baptist. Now, I'm not going to say that's biblically religious. I'm also not going to say it's biblically ignorant. I'm just going to say that's what they believe. But most of the Christian world recognizes that Brother Campbell started the Church of Christ in the year 1700 and something. But the Baptist church, well, you can follow their roots back a little bit farther. They had a definite start too, just like Methodism did. For 1,500 years, the Roman Catholic Church was the church that we knew on earth. Now, I may have a few of you landmark scholars out there. No, I'm not going to talk to you about it after worship today. You can write me an email and we'll talk about it later. I believe that one of the things the Catholic Church did, it was they purified and adopted, and we have codified since then in the mainline denomination something called the Apostles' Creed. It's one of those things you read together, people say. You mean that thing we all read, it says what we believe, right? Now, here's my take on that. No, that's not what I mean. I read the Apostles' Creed for a long time in church as a Methodist. And you know how excited I got about reading it? Yeah, I didn't get real excited about it. But I did really love some of the phrases. And then I took a class at Asbury on leading liturgical worship from a man who was a free Methodist. You need to stand up now. Because we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. We're going to say. Now, it's on the screen. You may have to read it before you can say it. But it's up there. And you need to follow me. When we say the Apostles' Creed in this church, we say it like we sing the great I Am. We don't read it as if we're trying to get to the end as fast as we can so we'll be through. And we don't mumble it like the words don't mean anything because every phrase in this historical document of the church is important. And when you say it, I remember the first Sunday in Denison, Texas, my first Sunday out of seminary when I was given the task to lead the Apostles' Creed. Waples Memorial United Methodist Church in Denison was a very good and traditional, moderate United Methodist Church. And so when I stood up to lead in the Apostles' Creed, I said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And they were like, oh, what happened? Because <laughs> I didn't say it. I celebrated it. Now, I hate to say it, but they kind of wore me down more than I moved them, I think. But I worked on every time I said it that they could get a little excitement in their voice. And some of you said, I left where they used to say the Apostles' Creed. I can't help it that you said it poorly. I can't help it that you didn't take it in so that it was a declaration of your faith. Because that's what it ought to be. So if you're here today and you think the Apostles' Creed is something that's not that important, you're wrong. Because it's a summation of the church. The church of Jesus Christ, whom God sent, His only begotten Son. Will you join me in declaring the faith that is at the core of what we follow in this church and that we want to pass on 
to those we engage in worship so that they might be established in this faith, the faith of the Scriptures, as it is written. Let us say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. And God bless you. Every time we get together to say the Apostles' Creed, we will say it in that way from this day forward. Because it says something. And we stand for something and for someone. And with God's help, we will pass it on.